I wonder what you're waiting for this evening. Maybe it's a a package that has yet to arrive and you're anxiously hoping that it's perched there on the front door as you return home tonight. Or maybe you're awaiting a family member who's been delayed in travel and you're hoping we'll perhaps make it this evening in time for Christmas. Maybe you're anxiously awaiting that special present, right? You, you told Santa about it. You talked to your parents about it. You talked to all your friends about it. And tomorrow morning, you're going to hit the tree and you hope that gift is there. Or maybe you're waiting. Friends, maybe it stretches beyond the Christmas season. Maybe you're waiting for a college acceptance letter, or maybe you're waiting for a job offer. Maybe you're waiting for retirement, or maybe you're waiting to be married, or waiting to have the marriage you always dreamt of having, or waiting to have children, or waiting to have grandchildren. You know, in our house, we're currently waiting for some pipes buried somewhere deep in our drywall to unfreeze, and we're anxiously waiting to find out what happens when they do. Right? We're all waiting on something. And you know, we've seen that tonight. Israel was desperately waiting for what? For peace? We've read for rest, for a king, one from David's offspring who would take the throne. Mary was waiting to give birth. She was pondering and waiting and wondering exactly what kind of child this would be that she would bear. Joseph was waiting and, and agonizing over whether or not to take Mary as his wife or whether or not to divorce her quietly. And then he was waiting and frantically searching for some room there, some place for her to have a baby in Jerusalem, or rather in Bethlehem. Right? The wise men, right, they too were waiting to see exactly where that star would descend and over what home there in Bethlehem. Herod was what? He was waiting news of the wise men, right? Of, so he could go, ostensibly, he says, and, and worship this Jesus, but we know the story's different, right? Everyone is waiting in our stories. Everyone is watching, and they're waiting. And yet, friends, so much of our own lives, right? So much of modern life is meant to do what? It's to take the waiting out of things. So we live in a world of same-day delivery, of accelerated checkouts, of of instant pot recipes. That's our world. A world where movies hit streaming platforms within hours of hitting the theaters. Right this week we watched a show with our kids and we were just finishing the first episode and the credits were coming up and our kids loved it and they said, let's go right on to episode two. And my wife and I looked at them and said, well, we can't. And they were shocked and we said, no, it's just one episode a week. And they looked at us, our kids, all of them, they looked at us confused and angry because they did not understand that episodes were released once a week. That's the way it used to be. In the digital age, we expect everything immediately. We even, what, we demand instant results, right? CEOs aren't given a whole business cycle to perform. Maybe they're given an earnings cycle. Coaches aren't given years, they're given months. Quarterbacks aren't given games. Sometimes they're simply given possessions. We expect access to breaking news across the globe. We want that instantly at our fingertips. We demand to know what our friends are doing on social media, and we want to know right now. We dread waiting, even resent waiting. Friends, why is waiting so hard? Why is it so unnatural to us? It's because, friends, when we are forced to wait, we are forced to acknowledge 
we're not in control. Whether we're waiting for that Christmas package or waiting for some life-altering lab results, in waiting we are confronted with our finitude. We are confronted with our creatureliness. In waiting, we're reminded that life doesn't unfold according to our own clocks and our own calendars. We're often painfully reminded that we can't have what we want and we can't have it when we want it. Which is why waiting is, it's hard, it's maddening, right? It's frustrating. We get impatient, we get irritable. For waiting requires us to ask this question, right? Is it worth it? Or should we just give up and move on? Should we keep waiting in this line or should we jump to that one? Should we keep waiting on hold, wondering if a customer service rep will ever come on or should we just hang up? Should we keep waiting for that phone to ding? Someone requesting a second date, right? Or do we move on? Should we keep waiting for a counteroffer to that proposal or should we just keep looking? Should we keep waiting for, right, fill in the blank? Because, friends, waiting is revealing. Waiting reveals. Waiting exposes what we value. So every morning our Labradors, right, Wallace and Beatrice, they wait very patiently at our feet because they know that morning walk is worth it. Not so much to mom and dad the last two days, but to them it was worth it. Right, the smoker patiently waits over his meat because he knows that mouth-watering flavor is worth it, right? The engaged couple waits months, if not years, to experience physical intimacy because they know that the joy of honoring God surpasses the fleeting pleasures of sin. They know that he is worth it. Now, if we don't value something, friends, we don't wait for it. Now, we don't value it. We just, we just move on. We find a replacement, but when we value something, we wait. Like Jacob, right, the father of Israel, who so valued and cherished Rachel that he was willing to work, and he was willing to labor for seven long and grueling years in order to marry Rachel, and he says of those years, to him they seemed what but a few days, Genesis 29, because she was worth it. So I ask again. What are you waiting for tonight? And is it worth your wait? You know, as a child every year, I couldn't wait for Christmas. I would, I would mentally start marking off the calendar like back in October, anxious for Christmas morning and when all my dreams would come true. And so the night before Christmas, visions of sugar plums did not dance in my head. I don't know what that ever meant. But I was anticipating Christmas morning. And I was excited for Christmas morning where we'd run downstairs, we'd tear open presents, and there would be euphoria and joy, inevitably followed by what? But by dissatisfaction and discontent because the day never delivered. It didn't matter how awesome my gifts were. What I had waited for for so long never finally proved to be worth it. Now, sadly, that didn't stop me from doing the same thing year after year. And we'd like to think, right, as adults, that we've grown up. We've matured from all that. 
but we're really not much different. What have we done? We've just substituted, right? We had dolls and we had bikes, and now we substitute for those things. We've substituted boats and vacations and, and second homes, and we bounce from thing to thing. Perhaps we bounce from relationship to relationship, waiting and hoping and expecting that finally we'll feel satisfied, we'll be settled, and we don't understand why we're not. Such this time of year, some of us come into a Christmas Eve service like this, and we are sputtering our way and limping our way into the holiday. And so we may be singing, right, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And that may be what we're singing, but what we're feeling is, O come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. And that's how some come as we gather tonight. And if that's you, could it be because you've been waiting and resting on the wrong things? You're waiting and looking for something in this life or in this season to deliver what it is incapable and was never meant to deliver. You know, what's fascinating about the biblical accounts that we've read tonight is that they were all waiting and waiting for the same thing. They were all waiting. Israel was. Mary was. Joseph was. Herod was. The wise men were. They were waiting. Even the angels were waiting. And who were they waiting for? They were waiting for a person. That's where their hopes were fixed. And the night the child was born, friends, there was no sadness. There was no remorse. There were no regrets like my Christmases as a kid. None of those things. Mary did not lament that her birth plan didn't go as planned. Right? The shepherds didn't yawn at the angelic announcements, and they didn't just go back and return to their flocks. The wise men didn't take one look at Jesus, pack up their gifts, and decide to go home. And heaven itself didn't sigh in disappointment, but instead broke out into rapturous song. All because this baby had been born, and this baby they knew was worth the wait. Friends, what made this baby so special? It wasn't just that, as Chris read a moment ago, that he was the heir of all things, Hebrews 1. It wasn't just that because it was through him that the whole universe was created, or that as he slept, he could sustain all things by the word of his power. Friends, those are mind-boggling things in and of themselves. But we read as well what makes the waiting for this one so special and unique is that this one made, Hebrews 1-4, purification for sins. So if you've come tonight, and you don't normally darken the door of a church, right? Maybe a family member invited you, or a friend invited you, and you're here on Christmas Eve. We are so happy you've come and came. You're singing with us, uh, or at least listening to others sing, right? You're hearing God's word. You're listening to this message I just want you to recognize that this is actually getting right at the heart of what Christmas is about. Not Bing Crosby, right? Not Cousin Eddie, not those things. This stuff right here. Because at Christmas, the maker became man, right? The divine one would become despised, and the Christ would be crucified. At Christmas, Jesus became like us, so that he could die for us. The sinless one laying out his life as a substitute for sinners. 
and then rising from the grave, right, victorious and reigning over sin and death, so that everyone who looks to this Jesus, who turns to him, who trusts in him, who sees his goodness, that a sinless one would die for sinners such as us, right, they can be forgiven, they can have their sins cleansed, their guilty consciences washed, they can be forgiven and restored into a right relationship with God. Because, friends, only Jesus made purification for sins. And after doing that, only Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. And that right there gets the simple message of Christmas. And if you want to think more about that message of Christmas, I'll be at the back door afterward. I'd love to chat with you, talk to a friend, maybe a family member who invited you. But I love how an Anglican poet captured some of this in one of his poems, powerfully, I think. Poet Malcolm Gart wrote, We think of him as safe beneath the steeple, or cozy in a crib beside the font, but he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. For even as we sing our final carol, his family is led up on that road, fleeing the wrath of someone else's quarrel, glancing behind and shouldering their load. Whilst Herod rages still from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled, and the lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and the death squads spread their curses across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. Did you hear that last line? Every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. Friend, will you be ready to approach that Lamb and to stand before Him on the throne? Christian, what does this mean for you, for me, right? The incarnation means Jesus became like us, and his resurrection means one day what? We too will become like him. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Christmas promises that Christ is coming again to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, that we might be with him and that we might become like him. My Christian friends, so many things will disappoint in this life, but what you need to know is Jesus doesn't disappoint. Waiting upon him never disappoints. So this Christmas, rest in Christ, trust in Christ, look to Christ, and above all, wait for Christ. Because friends, Jesus isn't in a manger, he certainly isn't on a cross, and he's not in a tomb. Right now, he's at the right hand of his Father, and he is waiting for the day when he will come and take all those waiting for him to be with him. So, friend, worship him and wait for him. For this Jesus 
is worth it. Let's pray.